0: Good morning, I am Lauren Anders brown an independent documentary filmmaker. Being behind the camera in over 40 countries has resulted in hours, days, terabytes of footage. So much of what happens to make a shoot possible ends up on the metaphorical cutting room floor. Most of my editing used to take place in planes, trains, or whatever available coffee shop had a decent filter, single origin coffee, and always using the hashtag today's office. Now I am picking up the scraps, reviewing old interviews, and scrolling through my social media to give you a behind the scenes look at what it is like to travel, produce, film, direct, record, alone, as my own correspondent. This is the last episode in season two and I'm bringing you to one of the furthest possible corners of the world. Flying across the world in the longest stretch to date, I traveled from New York to Sydney via Los Angeles in 2014. It was for my very first documentary series. And while I secured funding for most of the episodes in that series, the episode in Australia was left without funding. I really wanted to go to the land down under. So I put the flights on a credit card, packed my bags for what was going to be a very tight trip of 10 days. No amount of Australia's finest flat whites could have kept me awake during what was one of the worst jet lags I have experienced to date. Nor could I afford the amount of flat whites that would require at a record high of $8 per flat white. Remember, I was on a credit card budget. With my one flat white consumed and sunscreen applied during what was still a boiling summer in Australia, I was filming with Football United, a football program based on integrating refugees within Australia. Australia has had a dark history with immigration that is quite simply sometimes struck off, unfortunately, as racist. But there's more to that story, as I learned in my prep for the shoot. During the gold rush in Australia, many people came from Asia and struck gold. Out of what we can assume is jealousy and protectionism, Australia restricted immigration only to white Europeans for about 100 years because, well, the competition was a lot more slim for Europeans than Asians and not any more likely than themselves to strike gold. So having... A century without any immigration and exposure to different cultures, it makes an impact, it seeks deep into the flesh and bone of a population. So it's left Australia with an issue within its borders, along with the massive mistreatment of the Aboriginal community. I was not in Australia to specifically capture content about the Aboriginal community, but I could not help but want to learn and hear more about this unique culture I'd never been exposed to previously. So our host, the wonderful Anne Bundy Burust, connected me with her colleague, Sally Fitzpatrick, for a conversation about her work in public health within the Aboriginal communities. With her first career being in the film industry and her second in public health, needless to say, I was a bit intimidated but ultimately fascinated by the depth and breadth of what she had to share with me and how many of the overlaps I could see from my own episode on refugees. Mm-hmm. Um, your position
1: here and what, what your role involves. Okay, so my name's Sally Fitzpatrick and I'm looking at you. you are okay. So my name's Sally Fitzpatrick and I'm a lecturer here at the University of New South Wales in the School of Public Health and Community Medicine, where I teach Aboriginal Health, I'm part of the Mura Murray Unit, and we do research, and we do teaching and we do a lot of community service with the Aboriginal community in our local area as well as around Australia.
0: Can you give us a, like a, a description of what a typical sort of day involves, some of the, some of the challenges that you face within, within that role?
1: So in the day I spend at Moramari I'll be teaching in cohorts of Aboriginal and non-Aboriginal students in the postgraduate public health. I'll also be teaching undergraduate medicine students. In I usually teach in their first year, in their first very first course of medicine. Um, we do research projects here, we do quite a few contract works. Our focus is on the youth. Um, their social emotional well-being and supporting programs that are working from the ground up to make a difference. A lot of our critical uh, friends, we call them, are uh, people who have started a project locally and they work with us to put an academic framework around the work that they're doing and to use our measurement tools um, that have been developed by colleagues to demonstrate the effectiveness of the work that they're doing. and that's. So a lot of our research is around Aboriginal ways of being and doing, but translating that into uh, in a systematic way so that the effectiveness can be demonstrated to government, to funding bodies, and to the community, because the community want to know that the effort that's going into something is worthwhile as well. What are, um, we
0: talked about this earlier, what are some of the challenges on the topic o- overall so it's kind of a, a sort of difficult time for Australia to run with,
1: with the Indigenous uh, topic, the debate? So because it's, um, there's an old saying in Australia and the question might, you might, you know what are the challenges. Uh, there's an old saying in Australia that being Aboriginal is political. I'm not an Aboriginal woman but I work very closely with my extended family and with my colleagues um, and I see the day-to-day pressure that comes from acrimony or abuse that they might experience about their race or um, poverty or a number of things. Each day there's a challenge that is dealt with and I see my colleagues go through it all the time. For example, right now. There's a very um, acrimonious national debate about the Racial Discrimination Act. Now in Australia we've had the Racial Discrimination Act since 1975. It's based on the United Nations Declaration on the eliminations of all forms of discrimination. It's almost a textbook copy and paste. And there's effort at the moment from what politely are described as the Conservatives in the country to um, allow people who may have bigoted comments about a people or may want to humiliate people on the basis of race to have the protections about that lifted and removed from the Racial Discrimination Act. And that's for people who work and, and live with um, those kinds of slights against themselves and their families every single day. That's a very scary thought. And we have a feeling, I guess, you know, on one, on one hand, you've got overtures like let's have a debate about including Aboriginal people in the Constitution. And on the other hand, you've still got um, uh, policies around, you know, these so-called freedoms of speech where, where there's no discussion about the responsibility that goes with that. It's like we have a discussion about rights, but a, a human right it, must entail responsibilities if it's in an indigenous context, but in a non-indigenous context, it appears that you can just have a right and there's no discussion about what your obligations and responsibilities are with that right. And these inequities, they just constantly prevail. It's always, it's okay for other people. There's still this stuff going on about um, essentializing uh, different groups. I don't know. I know that there's a quite a deal of concern in the ethnic communities as well. I I see that in the literature and magazines and stuff like that. I've listened to the Race Discrimination Commissioner who's made a really strong stand against the watering down of these provisions, but it'll be a very sorry day when, um, if, if the Attorney General is successful in changing the law to that extent. We can only hope um, that common sense will prevail. Um, but I watch every day, I've got uh, colleagues who are very, very, very dark-skinned. I've watched every day them being challenged about their right to just exist as Australians. And that's a real, It's a shame on me as an Australian to have that happen. I was in a, a forum talking about the Constitution the other day and it was really carefully spoken by quite a few of the advocates that We shouldn't imagine that just by changing the constitution that we're going to change these attitudes in Australia. They're still quite highly, um, there's there's still a toxicity around those attitudes in Australia and um, a lot of it's probably fear and ignorance. People don't understand um, and it goes through to the debate about who's included as a refugee and who's not and these sorts of things that um, are some of the things that uh, we're seeing the programs like Football United address are bringing together people from all walks of life just so that those fears and apprehensions about each other can be um, overcome. What do you think needs to happen
0: in, a, in an ideal world? What would you like to see
1: happen? I, I would like to see leadership um, with compassion, I th- I would like to see the whole debate depoliticised. I know that's naive. I would like to see more education um, in a, a in the safety of classrooms, but where the teachers also feel safe to challenge the status quo, because the teachers are uh, it's um it's, they're also ha- they are also responsive to their school communities, and they can and that I know is a real tension for the a teacher to manage, they can be pr- promoting an inclusive view in their classroom and they may get um, feedback from the parent groups that they've overstepped some line. I remember I put a poster up, um, it was about Reconciliation Week, which is a formal process in Australia for a decade. It's The formal process isn't so much... Um, Yay!
0: This is probably one of my most favorite scraps from the cutting room floor I found recently. It's always powerful to hear someone who has lived an experience, but it's not always easy to relate to them if the experience seems too distant. Sometimes it can be equally powerful to hear from someone you relate to on different levels and hear their work in supporting others who have lived that experience. Such is the case with Sally who highlights so many of the health reasons why racism on all levels needs to be addressed everywhere in the world and how we can learn from one another. These themes are picked up in the inaugural Australia Global Health Film Festival taking place in August this year. The partnership between Global Health Film, our season two sponsors, and the Australia Global Health Alliance will feature excellent storytelling on a wide range of global health issues including inequity, gender violence, and commercial detriments of health. The program will be available on VOD and live stream, as well as some in-person events in Sydney, Melbourne, and Canberra. Find out more at globalhealthfilm.org. And that's all for this month and this season. Back next month with more from my own correspondent. Do join me.